The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. Mike and Tom are washing their mouths out with soap because the Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the 1997 Singles Edition. Today we're talking an American werewolf in Paris. Oh boy. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards joining me. The man who's gritting his gnarled teeth. (laughs) Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. (laughs) Hello, Tom. She's obviously whacked. A girl who jumps off the Eiffel Tower has clearly got problems. <laughs> right. You see, I the... think that would end my infatuation with a woman. Yeah. I, I think the first time I singled out this line, it was purely because it was clunky and Dumb. terrible. But yeah. <laughs> the more I look at it, the more I think, is this meant to be ironic? Because... They're all jumping off the Eiffel Tower. And yet, in any other movie, yeah. I would say that was an ironic line, except this one. Except Th- that's specifically the thing about... this one. <laughs> that's the, Exactly. That's the, the, the thing that this movie has that I have not seen in any other movie in quite the same way is that this movie, it's the tone of it is out of control, and I don't think they're doing anything anything purposefully or when they're going actually i guess that's not true because they're going for comedic bits that are never Mm. funny no never so it's almost the 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 polar opposite whenever they're trying to do one thing they are doing the exact opposite in this movie yeah yeah i'd agree with that this is a strange movie tom it really is i i i i don't i don't know what to do with it i, I looking back at my notes i really perhaps more than any mo- any other movie we've done i clung to uh comparisons to american werewolf in london which is never yeah. going to do this film favors but it was about, no right it was about the only way i could kind of rationalize it um mm-hmm. through that lens well, so ladies and gentlemen, we are talking an American Werewolf in Paris, yet another 1997 film. This one's directed by Anthony Waller. Mm-hmm. Do you know Anthony Waller? All I know, all I know is that uh, he he plays a metro driver in the movie, so he clearly thinks he's Alfred Hitchcock. Right. He's yeah. He's got the M Night Shyamalan disease. Yeah. <laughs> stop fucking putting yourself in your movies but uh the you could you could also level that at tarantino as well i could yeah yeah and we have historically yes exactly uh you know i'm seeing his other movies like mute witness the guilty and nine miles down Hmm. these are movies i don't know is mute is mute witness the last screen appearance of Alec Guinness? What year is that? Mm. Is Alec Guinness oh. in that, that film? Nineteen ninety five. I think that's Alec Guinness's last screen performance. 
He has a cameo as a Russian gangster. He's in it, yeah. yeah. Oh, look at that! Look at you. That is pretty impressive. Why uh, do you know but that? Apart from, apart from that, that seems like a similarly bad movie to this. Mm-hmm. I, I equate those two in my mind. I've never seen it, but I always heard it was terrible and Alec Guinness is only in it for like 60 seconds. <laughs> I think he just says the word kill and that's it. All right then, sir. <laughs> if you say so. Oh, what were the others? The Guilty, that's like a Bill Pullman movie, I believe. <laughs> okay. Uh, what era of Bill Pullman? Uh, well, I, I want to say like in 2000. Oh, okay. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> You're that far away from while you were sleeping in Independence Day. I know what yeah. it means to be in a Bill Pullman movie. Come on, I like Bill Pullman. I like Bill Pullman too. Don't you start your shenanigans. I'm not. I don't have an issue everyone. with I'm just talking about his relative fame over the years. All right, fine. Uh, strangely, Tom, this movie yeah, of the three say. movies has the highest Rotten Tomato score <laughs> at a whopping that 7%. Fuck that website. That now does not make forever. any sense. Now and forever. <laughs> Which means this and, movie must have a fan base somewhere. Right. Which is completely alien to me, that given that the other terrible sequels of 1997 do not seem yeah. to have this same hardcore. Well, and also, I mean, you can tell that Speed 2 had a lot of money spent on it. You just look at yeah. the boat accident alone. But in regards to the other two films... For what you see on screen, because I believe I said uh, Mortal Kombat was like $30 million mm-hmm. of a budget. This one has $25 million oh. for a budget. An opening weekend of 7.6, and in the USA and the world, gathered $26.5 million. You know, 25 and $30 million. I'll, I'll give Mortal Kombat at least some, uh, you know, some travel money. Yeah. Because they go places. <laughs> That's right. Well, they go to and Paris. And you could I guess you could say the same thing about going to Paris, but Um yeah, except, well, except they're not really they're not really plugging Paris no. in any way that looks expensive. Yeah, exactly. Um But also it surprises me that this movie has a high budget because they seem so thoroughly ashamed of their special effects <laughs> that money must have been spent on concealing how bad their special effects are because that that is all this movie does is try to hide how bad it looks that's its main yeah, but it's main but it does that so poorly Tom, because well, i mean yeah you know, because it's... you can't polish a turd right there's no there's no uh if in camera effect that isn't in shadow, off screen, in a reflection, <laughs> <laughs> with the strobe lighting over it. <laughs> it's like we never get a clear look at what we're supposed to be seeing. I also, I before we move on, you know, we were talking about the director and we were talking about uh, The Guilty, the Bill Pullman movie. Yeah. I wrote down 
uh, the 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 blurb, the description for this movie, because it so thoroughly made me laugh. Yeah. So here it is. A young person gets hired to kill someone completely unknown <laughs> by someone equally unknown. Or is that true? Nothing is what it seems. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like they went to the pitch meeting without an idea. I had, had completely come, forgotten had to... about that and then looked at my notes and said, Oh, my God, I've got a note about the guilty. <laughs> they turned up at the pitch movie. They realized the idea that they had had been done. And they yeah. said, we can talk our way out of this. <laughs> <laughs> what about a movie where nobody knows who the other person is? All right, back to bad effects and uh, werewolves in Paris. Yeah. Hey, when this movie started, when the credits started, what was your mindset? Well, you've you've already alluded to this in a previous episode that yeah. that, that you were sort of carried along a little bit, at least for the first few minutes of the movie. The but credits I, themselves had a real classic monster. They did, you know, monster movie feeling to them that I was rather enjoying. Okay. I mean, I can I can see that. I think, I think were it just a you know original movie in its own right, I probably would have followed along with you. But the fact that they choose to start with panning down from the moon, right? It, the, exactly the same way American Werewolf in London begins, mm -hmm. but it's this kind of conventional choral hymn rather than Bad Moon Rising. Yeah, it's like oh, they copied John Landis's shot, except they removed the humor. The humor from it, right? They removed the the humor, and anything that might be interesting or distinctive about that. So, it did, <laughs> so it it did just feel like you know it was like just like a more conventional version of what we've already seen. Yeah, without that, you know, extra. But the music itself, specifically was enough for me okay. to go, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's basic, it's, you know, basic 90s gothic cinema. It's like how... Yeah, I mean, you're seeing the Eiffel Tower, but it's... you're seeing gargoyles and churches. Yeah. and It was the gargoyles that made me think, like, you know, this is stock footage from Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, it sort of starts like a universal monster movie, doesn't it? With the, yeah. with the scientist in the white coat running away from... Uh... And you get, the, you get the death. Yeah, you get the... The cabbie running towards running away and... from the monster. Right. But, but again, like, you know, that's already disappointing because, and, you know, I hate the fact that I'm comparing so much, but I, I, you've kind you already of... announced you're going to. Yeah, so it's I, fine. Know, I know. <laughs> um, but that was that was a that was a genre or subgenre that John Landis riffed on. This yeah. is just pure pastiche. It's not interesting to me. Okay. So it's already made it's it's made itself inferior by failing to pull off the same trick that the original did with the same kind of the same material. I didn't come in with this expectation of I mean how could I <laughs> that you're going to do what John Landis did. You're doing did. your job better than I am on like for, on this podcast. You're doing a far better job of and usually <laughs> it's the other way around. You're doing a far better job distancing yourself. Right. Um, right. from the original that, than I am. 
I also found it interesting that John Landis's cr- characters created by credits seem to yeah. disappear faster than the other credits. Right. <laughs> I, I clocked that too. I was, I'm glad you saw that too, because I, I, I was, I was second guessing myself when I thought, no, no, that did disappear. No, I think little. I'm right. I think I'm right. I think that left sooner than everything else has um, left. Which previous and after, you know, it shows this kind of uncomfortable place. This movie is trying to follow up this, um, kind of revered auto classic of a mm-hmm. horror movie. Um, uh, and then we're straight in with Creature POV. Mm-hmm. You know, Alien 3 has a lot to answer for. <laughs> it just you feels... blame Alien 3, do you? But, uh, you know, that's... Well, when was Alien 3? It was early 90s, wasn't it? What's, what, when, when was Alien 3? 93? 93, like. I think. Yeah. So that's already a kind of hackneyed device by 97. Mm-hmm. It just feels so basic and bland. Like, I get what you're saying. Like, compared to the rest of the movie, it's fairly solid. It's on fairly solid ground. Right, 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 right. But it's right. still... The, the bar is low. And we well, only and go... you can go back further to Jaws and Halloween, yeah. you know. Fair enough, yeah. But, I, well, I, I maybe, maybe I'm thinking about ill-advised creature POV, which is, okay. what, is what Alien 3 <laughs> brought to the table. I think I, well, I'll save it. We're not yes. at that series yet. I'm not going to start litigating that. Oh, there's many things to enjoy about Alien Three, but uh, All right. the creature POV is not one of them for me. Um, <laughs> what I found, yes. First of all, this movie is. My note is this movie is comically odd. Mm, that's they a really do good not way of putting it. They do not understand, I think, what humor is in this movie. And that's true. I mean, that's entirely true. Uh, you know, we're meeting our we're meeting our boys for the first time at, you know, right after this cold open. Yeah. Or the cold open that follows the credits. Right. Simultaneous, I think. Is it? OK. I think it begin. I think the credits begin as soon as the we pan down from the moon. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, so but we have the credits and then we have the the we, death scene, right? Yeah, and then we go to the train. Yeah. Um so we're on the train and I see like Beavis and Butthead writ large as influence all over these three guys. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, when they start talking about Daredevil and sex points on the trip. Yes. Um you you yeah, you get the message that We've updated to the young Americans of the 1990s. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's when your movie's taking place. Sure. But you've simultaneously lost any empathy or attachment towards your character. Exactly. That's, that was my note. Yeah. So even even Beavis and Butthead is, you know, you it, it's beyond Beavis and Butthead because you always, you, you're, you're somewhat attached to those characters, even right. though you're aware. Right. <laughs> They are not role models, but these guys, I instantly want to kill. You want them all to die. I want, I want them all to die. Yeah. And you hope nobody just gets bitten because you don't want to see them. And this for is, ninety more minutes. The other thing that's really hard about this movie is that, I, like, it, it's obviously a mis- a creative mistake, but it feels like it's it's actually been quite influential. Really? Well, how do you mean? Well, 
there, okay, let me ask. Let me put it to you this way: Are there any movies that had yet to be made at this point that this film reminds you of? I can name at least three. Really? That I See, instantly... this movie reminds me of no other. Okay. Movie. Again, you're doing your job better than I am. But <laughs> as soon as we got to that train, and I've written it down in real time, I went, Hostel. Oh, wow. Well... This is Hostel before it's time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll save the others for later, but... Okay. I mean, I can see why yeah. you would think that. And again, but like, I you think know, because... like... like I go back to the tone of the movie because the tone is so strange. Yes. I never make a, lo- a leap of logic. No. That makes sense. It, what you're saying makes sense, but yeah. I never make that I never make that connection because this movie is so unlike any other movie even though it's the setup is the same as Hostel. You're right. It really is. Yeah. Like even down to the I but I think there's three of them in Hostel as well. I think and so. That's something that the movies added because it was two in well, American Werewolf in London. Right. And now <laughs> we're that... up in the stakes, Tom. We're up in the stakes. Well, we're up it's in the, the stakes. Thing. We add one more guy. We've also changed the nerd to jock ratio, so now it's one nerd, two jocks. Hmm. <laughs> um. Paris instead of London. That's your other big sequel inversion. Three yeah. instead of two tourists. Um. And then we're at the Eiffel Tower, which we just fucking saw in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> so, obviously, this was a big year for the Eiffel Tower and Hollywood cinema. Yeah. This was, everyone was clambering to get the Eiffel Tower in their movie. If was you were there... a shitty sequel. Yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like... I mean, could, they couldn't have picked a less of... Like, a more obvious landmark, right? They couldn't have... Oh, no, yeah. You know... I would have gone with the catacombs, personally, given the subject matter. But, given you know, the subject matter, yeah. yeah. You know, to each their own. It's a thought. It's a thought. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go full Superman too. <laughs> and They're the fa- aspiring. And I think They're this- aspiring to Superman too. I think this is where you know put the nail in the coffin of the characters for me is the fact that they were breaking into the Eiffel Tower. To, to, to climb bungee it jump. and bungee jump off. And, and by then... the way, that's not even a bungee that they're using. It no. looks like a regular rope. <laughs> which is going to kill you. It's going to just tear your legs off. I didn't think you could overlight Paris, which is known for its nightlights. But right. mid-90s American cinema managed it. Right. <laughs> Can overlight anything. <laughs> even a city known for its luminosity. <laughs> that's funny well and in addition so my question to you was mm. well narratively we're skipping some stuff so the it's boys okay. go to the the, the boys go up <laughs> no, to the top it doesn't matter <laughs> you're right they're gonna bungee but they see julie delpy who's apparently gonna commit suicide right now she jumps and he leaps with the rope attached to his foot but not attached to the eiffel tower yeah so the other boys have to grab the rope. Correct. Which, by the way, they were never going to hold on to, but I'll put that aside for now. Yeah. When he jumps over, is there a kind of Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes yeah. sound? Yeah, absolutely. Because I didn't make a note of it, but I'm remembering it now in my memory. 
that yeah, that must right. have happened, right? Yeah. It also it also looks like a cartoon because of the past CGI. Everything. <laughs> it's well, and that that was my big my biggest note was yeah. the terrible CGI jump. And I guess you know if you and just, I actually wrote laugh out loud. It's so absurd. If you compare it directly to the other films we're doing in the series, there is obviously I think one of the reasons that the CGI appears so bad. Uh, I think specifically here I'm talking about when the wind measurements that they're yeah. like a wind uh, wind me- um, wind barometer. We're also listening to Smash Mouth, aren't we? Oh, don't go. Well, I'll get there. I'll okay. get there. Um, <laughs> but you, there's obviously a trend towards replacing uh, close-ups on objects that would have originally been pra- that would have previously been practical with CGI. So I'm thinking about mm. the propeller and Speed Two. Yeah, right. And so, you know, this is an object you're used to seeing practically. Yes, so the right. fact so the fact that you you know the fact that you you see it in in CGI and you're also you know cognitively thinking why can't this just be the thing it is how hard is it to sure. get a close up of these objects in yeah. the real world um i think that that adds to the that that adds to the distaste you know with CGI yeah. is sort of like yeah because we're already going to see some terrible CGI once the wolves get involved. So how about at least give us a break on these normal world objects, the real world objects. Right. And and the, the movie can never straddle the line between practical and CGI because the practical stuff it has. Yeah, it's like, not Terminator 2. It looks like the no, it looks like, you know, it's like 1930s bad. Yeah, it's like, you know, fursuits. And then the but the, and the CGI is is equally inept, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I think the film sort of is trying to cinematically disguise what we're seeing on screen rather than doing what the original movie did, which was to put everything in camera to yeah. show to show you all the work that they'd done. Yes, that, that and they, and they go out of their way to show you right. this David movie Naughton in the middle of a room, yeah. completely and fully lit. You know? And I'd call that a sequel inversion if I didn't think it was down to basic incompetence of filmmaking, <laughs> which I really think it is. Yeah, I, I think know, it's I anyone's agree. choice, but I, I feel like that it was damage limitation time. They just had to, if we see this in camera without cutting away mm-hmm. or disguising it with lighting or with editing, right? this will look so laughable we won't be able to get away with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty good start. Good times, good times. <laughs> it, all, it only goes on from there. No, that's, that's right, yeah. We've talked about the best part of the movie, for one of we us. We did. <laughs> all right, why don't we take a break, and then we'll come back. How about that? Sure. All right. Right after this, everyone. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? 
Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2AT Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2AT Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here trying to figure out what the hell happened with an American werewolf in Paris. The 1997 film directed by Nobody You Know. (laughs) Uh, This is where, you know, pretty much the film gets even weirder. Because all the characters are doing things that they would probably never do. Right. Once a woman literally jumps off the Eiffel Tower. Okay. And you jump <laughs> to save her like Batman, you know. Yeah. Getting Kim Basinger. Also that love theme sting. Like if that happened in a soap opera, you'd think it was on the Yeah, nose. right. And then like as you say Smash Mouth comes oh. in. Which is hilarious because, you know, I've seen parodies of about the overuse of Smash Mouth's right. Walking on the Sun in late 90s, early 2000 media. Uh, and this is what's being parodied. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> this is not part of the parody. This is this what's being is parodied. This is the parody. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, but, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, so there, there is... I can't think of a reason for... Tom Everett Scott to go find Julie Delpy at this point. He's just got goo-goo eyes. I've got a reason for you. The script must have it so. Unchecked toxic masculinity. Yeah, right. I don't care what she's doing. I'm sure it's heinous. He has no right to barge into her house like that. Yeah, exactly. And throughout the rest of the film, those three guys come over to her house and walk inside uninvited. Constantly. And that is just not acceptable. <laughs> it wasn't acceptable then. It's not acceptable now. Hey, what do you make of, you know, talking specifically about the actors? There are two actors mm. that most of us know in Tom Everett Scott and Julie okay. Delpy. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of actors I don't know. Including, right. Well, Julie Bowen. Yeah, you know. we do know Julie Bowen. But his his bumbling friends... I mean, I have so many notes. That, they are just meat. They're just meat in the room. Yeah, I have so many notes there that are, are there. Are a couple of six along packs. the lines of these are the worst actors I've ever seen. But what do you make of what do you make six. of like so? What do you think of Tom Everett Scott and Julie Delpy in this movie? Because um, their acting choices aren't much better than these other people, and yet they've gone on to have careers, and we know them. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. And I can't figure out, like with Tom Everett Scott, I can't figure out if I'm watching somebody at the beginning of his career or if I'm watching somebody who's being directed by somebody to tell him, telling him to do direct, ridiculous things. Yeah. I, and I feel the same about Julie Bowen. She She's too bland. He's too... Vanilla. Well, <laughs> just, you know, too action-y. Yeah. He's doing too much. She's doing too little. He looks like he again. He looks like he he's modeling his performance after a Warner Brothers cartoon. Right. Which you you'd think was the case in the original, given you know, mm-hmm. uh, given the, the sort of John Landis and his directorial style. But it's actually just not the case. There's some really balanced performances, but there's no balance in any of these performances. Right. I have. I mean, once Julie Bowen gets in the movie, I I, I did breathe a sigh of relief because she's a pretty good goofball. Yeah. And when when she's in charge of the comedy in the sequence, you do notice a a bit of a lift. A little bit, but she's also yeah. hampered. I think a little bit by. You know, it, it balloons a little bit. It's a little bigger than. Well, literally. Th- yeah. Than everything. They literally have a. Co- than everything else around her. But I don't know if that. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm just. I'm trying to find something. Yeah, I say like you. You're asking me about the actors, and the old. The only one I noticed as someone who is a decent goofball for this kind of, for this this sort of tone that they're going for. Yeah. Uh, that that she she gelled with it better than everyone else in the movie, which is to say that she gelled at all. And it doesn't really affect Delpy because she's never going for a comedic moment ever. She doesn't open her eyes when she's she just yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it's really interesting as well, because I remember hearing John Landis talk about American Werewolf in London and how it begins with the two main characters, uh, getting off a, um, a truck full of sheep. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I've never been one for subtlety. Right. But I think like, (laughs) if you go to the cafe scene in this... Yeah. With a condom balloon. Yeah, exactly. Tissue, cups breaking, coffee spilling. I'm His like, friends. Uh, you, he can self-critique your own lack of subtlety, but John Landis never did anything Nothing like, like the that. Nothing like that, exactly. He had Nazi zombies in this film, and I still think that's more subtle <laughs> than what happens in this, in this scene. date scene. His yeah. friends are watching him and Julie Delpy like the German weirdos in Mannequin 2 on the move mm-hmm. are watched. You know what yeah. I mean? There's also that French WWF man. Yes. Who... Yes. Um, And there's so much ADR in this film. Yeah. It feels like everyone's dialogue was dubbed mm-hmm. later. And people changing voices is actually important to the plot at some point. Right. So it's a big, it's a it's bigger a big problem, problem than, than it, they realize. Even would be. Also, yeah. I also I guarantee all of Julie Delpy's dialogue is right. Here. And I also notice in this scene, in particular, in this date scene in the cafe, there's some remarkably bad editing going on. I have a note of. Yeah, it You're just right. looks which completely inept. Right. Yeah. When you and when you're doing a sequence of sight gags, that's, that's the, the worst yeah exactly. Possible. Combination. <laughs> that's, that's so terrible. 
Oh my goodness. Uh, What's Julie Delpy throw? I have a note here that she throws something, but I can't even remember. A cup? A cup at the angry guy? At WWF? I've got coffee, condoms, tissue, cup. (laughs) That's the sequence of gags. (laughs) That's a t-shirt. And then French dub. Oh, I got you. I got a band name for you later on. Oh, nice. I'm excited. Well, of course, it's uh, somewhere around here. I believe all the boys are invited to the full moon party because this movie's subtle. At Club de Lune? Yeah. Euro trash meets gothic literature. Not suspicious at all, I read. Every- everyone's idea of what, of what French horror right. would look like <laughs> without doing any prior research. <laughs> Eyes without a face? No. It's like this. <laughs> that said, though, Blade is only a year away, and I yes. definitely got some Blade I got vibes, Blade vibes Euro, as well. The Euro trance and the werewolf subculture in the club. So again, I, f- I have a horrible feeling this movie has a but we bit, talked, finger on the pulse. Yeah, we talked about in Mortal Kombat that it felt like, you know, a, a, a high school project given a lot of money. And that's yeah. what this felt like when you compare it to like a Blade. Yeah. Say what you want about Blade, yet, but Blade hidden... has production value involved. It and looks like a movie. Note, <laughs> but they're hitting notes that that later movies will pick up on, which I find fascinating. Right. Like, I don't think this is as, as an in, insignificant movie as I would like to think it is. Because I think I can see I can see the road to Hostel and Hostel Two, and I, and I can see the road to yeah. Blade. And there's another later on in this in this film. There's another big. I'd like to think it's coincidental, movie. though. It might just be it might just be cultural rather than right. deliberate, but I don't. It's a lot of coincidences <laughs> that all kind of historically make sense. Right. But anyway, I have a note. So you know, basically, the guys handing out the flyers are all werewolves, and they're just and oh. and. Uh, uh, so particularly, they have a hankering for Americans, it seems. Okay, is that ever explained? No, I don't think so. See, so I can't is, decide, is, are like are yeah. Americans delicious, or do they hate mm. Americans? Is it that French thing of, like, we hate Americans, we yeah. want to kill them? Or what's the deal? The movie never... De- yeah, exactly. The movie never decides. It never tells us specifically, yet, it op- yet that's the operational theory of the movie, if you're going to make any sense mm-hmm. out of it. But... This is this begins a trend of, of, uh, story points that retroactively ruin American Werewolf in London for yeah. me. So now all I can think about is you know Americans are tasty and that's why. That's why they get um, they get attacked in the first scene. You can't you allow these these things to you know infect you like Inception like yeah <laughs> come on it's okay oh but there's. There's more, there's more, no, there's more, I can't unsee it. There's more coming as well. <laughs> That's why I truly despise this film. Because it ruins another film in the process. And this is just the beginning. <sighs> this, this Americans take, taste tasty and that's why. Right. 
you know, it's it's again. We 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 talked about um, Obi Wan Kenobi off mic, and we talked about all these, uh, like making something canon, right? That you only ever half thought about, and have has been left vague for decades, and that you know, but also depri- for a reason, you, maybe <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, and it deprives you of some of that kind of ambiguity that you can think your way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of doing the same thing. It's like, it's like the joys of America werewolf in London line, all these ambiguities about what's going on with the werewolves. And this movie tries to pin down every single one of them, even the questions you never yeah. asked. England and classic example of that is Americans are tasty. <laughs> never crossed my mind before. It's because they were out on the fucking moor in the... Yeah, where they shouldn't have been. <laughs> where they shouldn't have been. Which is made very clear in yes. the film. That is the narrative right. reason. It's not a mythological reason. <laughs> it's not like, uh, you know, the the werewolves in London would have not attacked the British villagers. Because they're just not as it's tasty. Also not like... Right. It's also not as if the werewolves in London necessarily talk to the werewolves in right, Paris. Right. For one thing, they they seem to be an entirely different species of werewolf, yes. with no physical resemblances. Goes back to Fred Willard in Best in Show. Do you, you, you know does <laughs> with the animals? Yes. With do you think do you think all the dogs have different accents? Do you think they <laughs> they talk in in different accents depending on where they're from? Now, what are they doing? I love Fred Willard. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, so what, my, one of my biggest notes for this moment, because basically they've invited all these people to this party just so that they could eat them. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought, like, my biggest note was I thought it was hysterical how the strobe lights came in just to try and cover, like you said, yeah. their terrible CGI. Yeah, we're not seeing anything clearly. Right in terms of werewolf transformations. Um, which is an inversion, but I think it's an accidental one. Yeah, right, right. I think they would rather it the other way yeah. around. <clears throat> but, you know, and, and there's and always, so... There's no... Con- the, I, I think a bigger problem... I mean, effect quality of effects is a huge problem. Right. But the biggest problem for me is there's no consistent look to the werewolf. Yeah, no. And some of that is CGI practical confusion. But they haven't decided what animal they want the werewolf to look like. Sometimes it looks like a lion, sometimes a gorilla, sometimes it looks closer to the original idea of what mm-hmm. it is, but from scene to scene it's different. Yeah. From scene uh, to scene, that's... the only consistency is it's not good. It's not good and you don't see it yeah. all. <laughs> 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 and then you know there's some very strange you've already mentioned like underwhelming editing choices yeah right or inept editing choices this fade to black mid-scene that they do a few yeah times, right it just looks like a commercial break it does <laughs> it's just like it's just, is it just there to help the people the the television, the television programmers, programmers know where to put the brakes you know what i notice about that too because it's not like this is the only movie that does that, but I've noticed in other. Mo- I haven't watched this movie on television, 
But you ever are you ever watching one of those movies where that happens and then they don't cut to commercial? And it kind yeah, of pisses the you off. Oh, they never, you know? <laughs> they yeah, gave does, you a yeah. moment. But yeah, they're trying to create... I, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to create suspense around what's happening in that period we don't yeah. see. But it just... It, it's, it's, but that's, that's never what a, it no. makes you feel, so... It fragments an already fragmented movie. <laughs> Probably the... Uh, and, I'm, you know, at this point, I think this is maybe my two favorite moments of the movie are in this section of the film. What, when they're chasing down in the catacombs, or...? Oh, no, no, no. Um, the heart shake. Okay. That was a good good 10 seconds. I, I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I just like, that, that says to me you know american werewolf in london but in the 90s yeah. putting a heart in a blender and making a shake out of it it's like okay i could get with mm -hmm. that uh when they the werewolf in the hospital bed when they accidentally go into the closet open the closet thinking it's an exit <laughs> i thought yeah that's a good moment okay. in a horror film in like a comedy horror film probably these these are like 10 second bursts yeah. And there's nothing good between them. No. Yeah, That's right. Uh, this movie just languishes from scene to scene. You know, so... I mean, he's yeah. at that party, he gets bitten, and then Seraphin takes him back to her house for the heart shake. And, and, he we, the and we have... The werewolf double dream. Right. Werewolf double dream. And then we also have the bit... Who is it that he's seeing? Is it her mom? And her mom's dead. Yeah. So we're trying mm -hmm. to get that bit with Griffin done. Again, but up the ante, so there's like everyone yeah. in the cast. But here but this, it comes across another... as very clunky. Yeah, and until we, and you know, they, again, they don't have the, they don't have the makeup. Right. You know? They don't have yeah. the prosthetics. So everything, and then everything they, they try like to repeat that bit store. with Julie Bowen, and they're doing mm -hmm. CGI shit, like with her eye popping out, right? Looking at her own breasts. Right, yeah. Just to show you that... I mean, adolescent sex comedy is the real genre of this movie. That's <laughs> yes. just people, you know, it's like looking at women's cleavage, women looking at their own cleavage, mm -hmm. because they're, they're just so hot they would objectify themselves if they could. Of course. Um, actually, in this scene, we've got, you know, like, Seraphine, she she manages to cover up her nudity, but it feels dirtier than if she'd just yes, gone topless. right. <laughs> um, but anyway, the werewolf double dream is another one of my retrospective ruination moments. Well, because it doesn't... Because they say, oh, it's normal for the transition periods gotcha. to have all these hallucinations. It's like, no, that was never a thing. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with him being a werewolf. <laughs> or if it does, I don't want to know yeah. about it. I don't want this to happen every time someone turns into a werewolf. Doesn't need to be. Enough. Right. Every time you see someone get bit, you go, oh, well, so soon, soon we'll get the double dream. He's going to have the double dream. <laughs> uh... At this point, we get the best comic actor in the movie, which is the the, the dog. <laughs> There's a reaction shot from a dog where he's doing some great work. I don't remember it. Out acting many of the yeah. uh, the other 
Well, because one of his death. friends dies at the party, and then the other one, Seraphine, puts in jail. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, a jail in her own yeah. home, which she usually keeps yes. herself in to keep from. Mm-hmm. So, for those listening at home, she is a werewolf herself, but she doesn't want to be a werewolf. She doesn't like the idea of killing people, so she locks herself reluctant up. Reluctant werewolf. Yeah. She's the Christian Bale of werewolves. <laughs> She's a reluctant werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> that's great actually i've got another good moment here the french with the french policeman bags a dismembered arm it's like oh yeah this is what i want to this is what i want a werewolf horror comedy in paris to right. be like the whole way through and i'm it's really it's really interesting that obviously they changed the location from britain to paris mm-hmm. And yet they seem to be splitting the difference where there's as many British people in Paris as there are yeah, French. Right. So they're trying to play to both sides of that. Uh, or maybe they just simply don't know the difference. <laughs> I wrote that um, the inspector is complete with a pipe. But I yeah, also couldn't figure clues, out why the cops so just like. let him go. You know, they're, they're interviewing yeah. him about all the murders. And then the next, and then all of a sudden telling. we just sort of, sort of, ephemerally like the scene just sort of and the next thing you know he's in a haze walking outside and i thought well what the fuck did he let him go for speaking of uh julie bowen i really wanted um uh phil dunphy's character from muppets most wanted to play the (laughs) french police officer (laughs) her co-star from modern family yeah Uh, (laughs) because i think i you know like in that, there's a, there's an in-world excuse for why the policeman, the French policeman, is not doing his yes. job. It's because he's got to go on his mandated two-hour lunch break <laughs> and things like that. Whereas here, it just seems like a custom in French law enforcement that you just leave your suspects unhandcuffed um, in the you know to leave, leave at, at his leisure. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very strange. Well, I don't know what. Maybe let's take another break because we're starting to transition into the Bowen part of this movie, and then we're gonna rapidly approach the end. How's okay. that sound? The, Bo- the Bowen, the Bowen sound. Yes. <laughs> we'll come back to Bowen right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. 
They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Tom and I are back once again, ladies and gentlemen, finishing up with an American werewolf in Paris. Yet another 1997 single sequel. The biggest disappointment of them all. Yes. Man. And that's saying something. Right? Well, as we, as I was saying before we went to break, we're to the Bowen part of this movie. And so we meet her late. Uh-huh. Like, we meet a major character a in this movie. Character. What a weird character to introduce halfway through the movie. Yeah, right? And th- this was one of the points where I thought, you could have built a sequel around this character. Yeah, exactly. And it might work. Like, we just do... We Especially just do if you wanted to make a comedic, a more comedic take. Well, yeah, but you just, you just gender swap it. Mm-hmm. And that's your inversion. And you might be able to craft a more interesting sequel out of it. Um, but that's not what women are here for in this movie. <laughs> right. It's just about looking down their bras. Of course. Uh, I don't know. Like, if I was being generous, I'd say they're trying to reference Animal House, but I think the truth is it's sub-Animal House. <laughs> right, yes. Sub-Porkies. <laughs> right. So for those at home who have not seen the film... Yeah. Essentially, he just sees her on the street, right? He's she comes into the cafe. like in the, in another cafe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's yeah. starting to act more because he's asking. He's getting like his fourth steak rare or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And right. for some reason, she finds this amusing and attractive. Yeah. Well, also, we for some reason again this this movie is sort of made like uh, slut shaming a werewolf power (laughs) (laughs) right because his friend his friend says you would have never looked twice at that bimbo in there right before it's like why is that a werewolf power it's just you're just being extra toxic you're already (laughs) pretty toxic how is that a werewolf power heightens your toxicity it's like a couple of teenagers tried to rewrite and refilm the Griffin Dunn scenes for yeah. American Werewolf in London from memory. <laughs> Having not seen it in a few decades. It's like when I tried to like recreate the movie The Untouchables, having seen it once with my friends at school. <laughs> it was more legends than canon, I'll tell you that right. much. We got past... Al Capone was caught very early on in our version. <laughs> and we were off to sea! <laughs> to find treasure! <laughs> uh, so I remember... Trying to keep all of this... Bowen stuff straight in my head. They meet... Yeah. They have sex on Jim Morrison's grave. So yeah, they go to they go to the cemetery, right? Mm-hmm. And he's Which I don't I I mean I know he's a, I know Jim Morrison is a celebrity and a you know cult icon, but he's a real person. Seems a little 
ghoulish to have sex on his grave. I don't know if that. I cannot disagree. Americans do, but you know, it's it's like why did we have to rope Jim Morrison into this? And he also, doesn't he person. turn into a werewolf in the middle of sex? Yeah. So he's got werewolf penis. And that's I like I like the <laughs> I like the the little the lipstick. Uh, the dog, right? Dog penis lipstick, um, and this is what I mean about Julie Bowen being a good goofball. It's a blessing for the movie that she takes over the comedy for this particular for section. this moment, right? Yeah, uh, and then we have another fade to black, <laughs> right? But not so before. Again, it's it's like... like because the cops are there too, and they're yeah. looking for him, and she's going into tombs and then out of tombs, mm-hmm. and then he gets her right. He he. Kills her? Do I have that yes. right? Because my next note is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does, yeah. Because she comes back as a... as a Corpse. Uh, yeah. Along with Ghost Bro. Right. She comes back to life. Yeah. Think of all the painstaking makeup and animatronics that Griffith Dunn had, and this, like, slapped-on goth makeup. Exactly. But I, I also mean, have... It looks like it comes from... It, looks, it doesn't even look like it comes from the same universe <laughs> right no that's the thing this movie's building mythology that we never asked for or that we never yeah. got or asked for from the first movie yeah that's my biggest beef with it and or buff that's my right. biggest buff <laughs> it's the, worst, the worst joke anyone's ever made please cut that out <laughs> never <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like so the thing that really bothers me about this movie is that it's imposing that on the original movie despite like this movie also simultaneously feels like it has nothing to do with an American werewolf in London no you know right yeah and so when it's Uh, doing that it's really aggravating (laughs) it's really aggravating once they get to the uh, you know the cure section of the film yeah I mean, that's, that's the worst part. All bets are off at yeah, that right. point because there's no. But before we get there, Tom, I gotta original. ask you because. Oh no, I'm 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 just you know I'm just bringing that well, up. Well, I'm just curious because that's my, after that's he example. kills her, there's a moment mm. where he gets into a morgue drawer, and somehow that's yes. how he escapes. Uh huh. Is there a hole in it? I don't remember this ever being explained. I just he gets into a drawer and then he's yeah. somewhere else. Well, and well, it's just the police. Yeah, he gets himself out. All right. And the, the the police let. I, no, I mean, meaning like they just think he's gone, and then they leave the room, and he gets out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's the part that I find hard to believe. Yeah. I mean, you know. Wouldn't you we, check all the drawers first before you left? That's where not, I would not think in, he is. Not in French law enforcement. Okay. Clearly. But we've seen Weekend at Bernie's too. We know that's only a temporary state of. Right. Of of uh, death. Um. And then this this there, they have a British cop superior, or she sounds British the first time. Yeah, right. Her, and then the second time she's French. Again, <laughs> splitting the difference <laughs> between the first between the two movies. But we never see her after that, do we? We see her once again. Or and then we she... see her at the end. Then she sounds French, so I don't yeah. know if they, I don't know which part they ADR'd. Is what I say. Like I don't know whether they they de-Frenched mm-hmm. her or de-Britished her. 
Well, it's this section of the movie where I really started to feel like, boy, we're trying to, you know, eke out the 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Or however and, long. And as you say, add a lot of needless mythology, eat the heart of the werewolf that bit you. Yeah, right. Well, uh, you you were referencing the, the cure part of this movie, so... But the cure, and also... So, they've made Julie Delphi the werewolf... But, yeah, we forgot to mention that when uh, the bro was in the jail earlier, he does escape by taking off all his clothes, mm-hmm. but he also finds he like finds which a is werewolf. probably how he was cast. He finds a werewolf a on a gurney. Mm-hmm. You know, being ex- you know, it looks like like a Frankenstein scenario. Yes, being experimented on, but really, um, it's Julie Delpy trying to find a cure. But they can't even keep that. Yeah, that they can't even keep that mythology straight because the cure is what turns, turns her into into a werewolf. So that's needlessly complicated. Everybody else takes the cure. Already, yeah. To inject themselves and immediately turn into wolves, when they otherwise the, have to wait for a full moon, right? This this film mistakenly thinks that it's science fiction, <laughs> right? Rather than fantasy, I think that's a big a big issue here. And the the original, there's not really a sense of that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there's definitely no attempt to explain where the werewolves came from. Other than where they come from in all werewolf movies. Right, yes. Um, and again, you know, you see the it, it sort of like turns into Twilight all of a sudden with Andy rejecting his werewolf identity. Yeah. And suddenly our hero... Like, it's much less interesting to have a hero who's fighting against uh, what he's turned into. Yeah. Versus what it is in the original movie, which is a kind of tragic figure. Like, he can't he can't he, help right. being what he is. He has but he, to, right. But Andy is sort of, sort of, like, making the choice not to be a werewolf. And that made me think of Twilight. And, you know, I choose not, I choose not to be what I am. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'll just I'll just that, eat animals. Right, I'll just I'll just eat animals, and I guess I guess there's werewolves in there as well, um, with the same dilemma. Uh, yeah, and then the cure is like Deus Ex Machina goes against the spirit of the original. Yeah, uh, it's not we we yeah, it's not good. <laughs> It's, not, well, where and also wa- it's not where I wanted this movie to go. There are aren't aren't there kind of two cures? I mean, they're working on the potion cure, but also if you kill the wolf that attacked you, yeah. then you go back to being a human. Yeah, you just need one of those. Okay. And I would argue none. <laughs> right. We made a perfectly good, if not classic, movie without it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then there's moments in this film where where it feels like footage is actually missing from scenes. <laughs> it's like Homer's brain after a night of drinking. <laughs> yeah, <scene> exactly. Deleted. <laughs> when when uh, Andy and um, Julie Delpy are having sex in the bathroom, mm-hmm. and they're being chased out by the werewolf cult. Yeah. There looks like there's a whole scene missing that tells us how they got from one scene to the other. Yeah, the whole thing is bumbling because, like I was saying earlier, it feels like we're really trying to get to, you know, an hour and 38 
or so minutes, however long, like it's an hour 35 or something, this movie. Uh, Because we even include a car chase. So I I noticed that, you know, Mm. he shows up to Seraphins at one point. All the bad wolves are there. They chase him away and he just goes back to the house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then gets chased again, and then they're they're in cars, and there's like a comedic car pileup. Right, which makes me again. This is my other movie, which came out like a year later. Taxi right. goes on to be this huge franchise. <laughs> the car chase scene is just that. <laughs> this movie has its finger on the button in a weird way <laughs> of what movies know. will be, but it can't make a good movie out of what it has. <laughs> it's fascinating. Here's my uh, my band name if you want it. Yes, Julie Bowen Bloodspurt. <laughs> that might be more of a. Did you say band name? Might be more of an album title. Okay, Julie Bowen Bloodspurt. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, it's um, a good one though. <laughs> <it's> just... <laughs> I like it. Uh, and after that, yeah, this is what I mean about science fiction. We have the chalkboard with the science of werewolves. I yes, mean, right. You, if there's one thing you don't need in a werewolf movie, it's a, it's a science lesson about how werewolves came into being. <laughs> Even Twilight doesn't descend to that. Right. And they got the time. <laughs> they have the screen time to go into it, and they choose not to. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I find well, myself at the end of this movie, and I don't even care about anything that happens in it. It le- well once you know the the we're back back in the club, right? Is it the same one or a different one? Though? Oh, it's a different location, different church, were, right? Different church, right? Yeah, and and then you know this is it. It's like needlessly offensive to both to. Americans, French people, and Christians. Like, it, it, it's sort of like it just starts right. throwing out offensive depictions of national or religious identity. It just kind of <laughs> comes thick and fast. And I, and I agree with you. I think it is just to get to, like, they're rushing to get to their running time. They're not yeah. thinking about who they offend along the way. Because, you know, the, 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 um, and it's, it's sort of weirdly, non-specific so we know that the french werewolves love the americans mm-hmm. and this is an in, this is a july 4th party isn't it i think so but does the movie know the connection between america and france and the like i don't get a sense that they do i don't uh, i think it, someone pointed that out like at the premiere it was like oh you know there was a french gentleman by the way <laughs> led, and then everybody in the involved in the movie said no shit yeah <laughs> um and i think with you know with all the crucifix imagery mm-hmm. cuz the last the last friend is strapped to a cross right and he's got a rock back and forth out of it and then he's carrying it around with him you know he's still attached but walking and it kind of shows how this movie can't differentiate werewolves from vampires or satanists right especially when they come out in their monk robes Mm -hmm. which 
provides a nice little smoke screen for not seeing them turn into werewolves. Not seeing them turn into werewolves, right. Uh, and we, you get, we, fi- you, we find like the... new ways to hide the bad work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the cops come too, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, in these types of movies, I can't even remember, do all the cops live? Or because or, some die, right? Does the main boss, does the lady die when she sees that wolf underneath oh, the road? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't clock that if she did. I honestly uh, can't remember. Mm. But it's, you know, in a movie like this, you always have a group of people that are hearing the tall tales. Yeah. And you can go one of two ways. They either, they never believe it and then suddenly they die. Mm-hmm. Or they never believe it and never see it. Yes. Those are the two choices, right? Right. And this one kind of splits the middle. It's like True. they don't all die, but they also find out. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. And you think these wolves look bad on their own. Try showing them all together in the same shot. Oh, boy. You're <laughs> a whole new level of of uh, effects ineptitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they forgo- <laughs> They also forgo what might have been a point of dramatic in- in- interest, which is that Andy has to kill Seraphine. Like they toy with that for a minute or so, and then it's like. So they nah, actually no. We'll just do some slapstick. Instead. Well, don't they? Do they originally make you think that it was her that bit him? Yeah, because it wasn't. Because it was the main. They bad walked guy. that back. It was. It was just. It was just like the, yeah. the bad werewolf. Yeah. So, and... but that's what I mean. Like you know they. But then he shoots her, right? Who? He thinks that it's another wolf and, and Andy shoots Seraphine. Do I have that right? I don't think it gets that far. I think it, I think that that whole, again, like it's, it's too dramatically interesting for this movie. So they, that, that, that's what surprised yeah. me. I was like this movie, all of a sudden you're going to do something. You think you're going to pull that stunt. Yeah. I can't remember. Was it one of the other bad Somebody shoots her. But then she ends up not dying anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. They walk it back. Mm-hmm. This movie's fucking dumb. It is. <laughs> and we go on the metro train. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they extend this chase scene. I mean, they're already in the, you know, kind of catacomb underneath. I guess all churches have catacombs underneath them. But, but not the famous catacombs But not the, the, not the catacombs. Just a, just a generic underground cave. That yeah. would have been the time, guys, to... Just saying. Yeah. I don't think it's that expensive to film But it's it. like, then they extend an already, I guess you could call it as interesting as this movie's gonna get. You know, we got, we got cave chases, yeah. but then they fall through a hole and go into the metro system. Mm-hmm. So now we got to deal with subway cars and shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's not that. It's not even that interesting, really. No. <laughs> or nor is it that Parisian, you know. Again, again. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess the metro is kind of iconic of Paris, but it's not it's something you can't get in New York or London if you wanted to. Um. And the, you know, they have when once we get on the train, right? Again, they have to compensate for the fact that there's nothing scary or threatening about the werewolf that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. So the fear is that there's too many people on the train. That's that becomes the source of that's the, what we're dealing the, uh, with. That's what we're dealing with. Not 
what should be the threat, which is that there's a werewolf on the train. Um, and Andy has to make the choice, right? He he doesn't he inject himself or something so he can become yeah his werewolf to defeat the other bad guy werewolf. Yes, from killing all the people on the train. Mm-hmm. And someone else. Julie Delpy wasn't there, right? She was already shot. Yeah. Okay. Again, this movie's dumb. It's very dumb. <laughs> but we're not we're not we're not done. I know. Because we've got several full several full moons later. Mm-hmm. Last minute time lapse. Once again, ad- anticipating bad <laughs> movies in the future. Which also pull a lot of this shit. The what specifically? Minute... Oh no, just not you know the the trend towards time lapse. Okay. Unnecessary. I thought you had a specific movie in no, mind though. No. no. Okay. No. But they could at least keep this movie. You know, in some kind of Aristotelian unity. You, <laughs> you don't have think. to have. Uh, <laughs> and it's a happy ending, which I guess is an inversion of the original ending. Which is yeah, we're gonna bungee without bungees again. Um, but we're at the uh, amp- or, uh, the Statue yeah. of Liberty. Oh, that's the other thing. We've left Paris yeah. now for no reason. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so we we've we've undone everything in the final <laughs> sequence. And you know, again, this sequence has no the the untied rope is a desperate attempt to inject some stakes into a utterly meaningless epilogue. Right. It's a non sequitur, is what it is. Yes, right. It's not, a, it's not an epilogue. It's a non sequitur. Um, that's that's all. That's all I have. It's. Uh... That's all I have too. I mean, this is a this is a dumb movie. Yeah, desperately it's... trying at time. It's trying to be so much more comedic than the first movie. The first movie it really is, which is a comedy. Yeah. And directed by but John the, Landis. Who... But the first movie, John Landis gets comedy. Yeah, well, he that's understands it. I mean, what funny is. This movie shows you where, when you try and do this material without someone like John Landis behind the camera. Yeah, this is what you're in danger. It's ill-advised. <laughs> it's it's a and again, you know, I've said this again and again on this podcast. But the most important, if you're making a comedy film, the most important person is the director. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like that should be true, but again and again we find that it is. Right. Bad direction on a comedy movie can ruin it. it more than having unfunny people on screen somehow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, credit check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't get too excited. No, I won't. Believe me, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> this the music in the credits was so bad I, was, I i wrote the note let's go back to smash mouth <laughs> i think i've ever said that in my life that's the first and last time but also it's a, but again you know this movie is bad but also random and there's the song they choose to end the film with conforms to this completely because it's it's a song that <laughs> contains the lyrics like, well, not the lyrics. This is the kind of chorus, I guess you might mm-hmm. loosely call it. 
it goes like your mouth, 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 mouth. What the fuck is this song? And what does it have to do with this movie? This movie isn't about mouths. Unless they mean mouths with pointy teeth. Fangs? Sure. Yeah, it's not right. the mouths that are the issues with vampires. Um, with great big pointy teeth. It's, um, this is a new one on me. Latin lyrics by. <laughs> so, I assume that refers to the opening song. I don't know why it needs a sole credit. Um, this was a surprise to me. Live animal reference. Doesn't look like the werewolves are based on any real animals. No, yeah. At least, at least not dogs. <laughs> Which is... The name seems to suggest that they're dogs that they were based on. <laughs> if it had been gorillas or lions, I would have gone, okay, maybe. Um, legal services by a firm led by Tenenbaum. No. Yes. That's... <laughs> so this this is the crossover we need. Get Gene Hackman out of retirement. Get you, exactly. <laughs> um... If that character was involved in this movie, it would make sense. Uh, just, and, uh, you know, just the list of artists involved in the soundtrack is int was interesting to me. It's obviously Smash Mouth, Cake, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Bush, The Refreshments, who are best known for the King of the Hill theme song. Wow. Um, and it just occurred to me that Another another kind of missed lesson from the original movie is that the the soundtrack of American Werewolf in London is not contemporary. Right. It's not tied yeah. to the moment it's made in. You know, there's, no. there's songs from the 40s, the 70s. 40s, yeah. Um, it kind of... And I think... I think to sort of anchor this movie in bands that reek of the moment and mm -hmm. always will... It certainly is doing uh, it a It's an anchor. Yeah. Oh, I've no idea why a cake cover of a Barry White song is on the soundtrack. <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's like I don't. I I can't help but comparing. All the songs in the original movie had purpose. Yeah. Whereas when I listen to the songs of these movies, I can't connect this and the connect them to the movie. Like to what I'm Bad seeing Moon, on Bad screen. Moon Rising, Blue Moon. Blue. Right. Um. But here I'm like, never gonna give you up by cake. <laughs> Question mark. Yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe right. I mean I don't know. Did they ever see American Werewolf in London? Did someone describe it to them? Is that is that? That's what the other it? thing. Yeah. It feels like nobody ever watched this that movie before making this movie. Hmm. Uh, anything left for you? No, that's... Uh... All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have a differing opinion, by all means, you're going to have to let us know. What yeah. do you think of an American werewolf in Paris? Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart, he's from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, we'll be pitching a sequel to one of these oh, movies. Oh, my God.
wish us the best of luck. Can we just forego the format for this this series? Do <laughs> we just write write off nineteen ninety seven as a bad idea? <laughs> I quit. <laughs> Say goodbye to the to the good people, Tom. I love you, Americans. <laughs> That's great. All right. Until next time, everyone. <laughs>